Welcome to this week's podcast of the Nitty Gritty Real Estate. This is episode 28, and we are going to be talking about the real estate bubble. 2008 versus today, are we in another bubble? Let's get into it. All right, Tom. So another episode, episode 28, we are going to be talking about the real estate bubble. You've got Tom Krieger here, leader of the Tom J. Krieger team, myself, Matt Beret. Um, I get asked a lot, okay, about are we in a bubble? You know, when I'm meeting with buyers and sellers and having conversations, a lot of the times, nine out of 10 times, the words or the comments come out, we're in another bubble. When's it going to pop? Okay. I wasn't in real estate back in 2008. You know, you were in your 40th year of real estate back then. Um, what, explain to people who may not have been a homeowner or around real estate back then, what happened? What was the buildup to 2008? What happened for the, for the crash to happen? And then what was the after effect, the aftermath? And how does that compare to where we are today, what we've seen in the last 14 months, where we are today, and what we predict is going to happen in the future? So let's go back and let's talk, you know, let's imagine we're back in 2006, 2007. How did all that start back then? Okay, Matt. Well, thanks a lot for asking that question. You know, that is a very, very detailed answer to that. I am going to give you the 35,000-foot view, what we call the Reader's Digest Why version. Why start now? <laughs> Why start now? <laughs> so, first of all, if anybody really wants to dig into this, the best book you can read on what happened is called Reckless Endangerment. Okay. And it explains the entire history of what happened. And really, this bubble started back in the 80s, around the mid-80s. and that it was, far back. Yes. And it okay. was precipitated by a redlining report in Boston that actually later on was found out to be a non-true story. It was a fiction story. Again, 35,000 foot view here. Politicians read that. They said, the banks are redlining we're going to get our constituents to be able to get a loan. And they're going to Pause just vote there. for us. Pause just there. So no. ex explain redlining. Redlining is where somebody does not lend, like a lending institution or an insurance company, in an area that is maybe filled by minorities. They draw like a red line around it, okay? Oh, okay? They could charge higher interest rates. They would maybe say, your credit score needs to be, instead of 620, it needs to be 680. Um, you've had too many accidents. It all depends on the industry, but they red line a certain area, and most of the time, it's a poorer section or it's a minority um, range of people. So it's okay? a discriminative action. Very discriminative, okay? And what was horrible about that is that that story was untrue that started this. That does happen, there's histories of it happening and it's a disgusting thing, okay? Um, your ethnic background, your religious beliefs, whether you're... Um, gay or not, that should not determine. Yeah, marital status. None of that yeah. should determine. You should only have a determination as can I pay the loan back or can I drive a car just as safely as a guy that lives in the Hamptons, mm -hmm. okay? That's that's how I feel about it. And I think you know all real estate agents that are worth their salt feel the same way. 
but let's get back to what we were talking about. So this report comes out, the politicians say, you know what, people in these areas are not getting served. I want to get elected by them. I'm going to stand up for them. And I'm going to create legislation forcing these lending institutions to lend in these areas. Okay, so the, they create legislation. The lending industry, along with the government industries like FHA and VA, they, lack of a better term, they bind together to create products to sell to people that may not really be credit worthy, may not really be able to pay these loans back, but they're forcing the banks to provide these types of products. So we've heard a ninja loan, no income, you know, no job. Um, you've heard where if the bank loan officer put a mirror under your nose and you fog the mirror, we'll give you a loan, right? So the banks, so the banks weren't doing what we know lenders do today, which is credit checks, income check, you know, how much debt to, do you have versus how, what's your income? They weren't doing any of that. Correct. You were literally just walking in and putting Mr. and Mrs. Smith on a piece of paper right. and be like, congratulations. And I make $200,000 a year, yeah, okay? But you don't. But you don't. And, and there was no verification of it. Now, the Frank Dodd Act helped create some control in that industry. But the, the ugly part is, is that it was the politicians who forced the banks into this. Okay. And again, read Reckless Endangerment, it, uh, and I get no money for this, but it explains it very well. Okay, okay. We'll, put a link, we'll put a link to the book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the we'll comments put a link to the book. Uh, you can go to Barnes and Noble, or, and I think it may also be an audio book right now, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but anyway, so the banks start these programs to lend to people that really weren't credit worthy, okay? Um, but the banks are smart, they're smart. So they created a way for them to step out of the volatility that was happening. So the products they were creating had like due dates, okay? Um, if So if you have some peanut butter, there's an expiration date on it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, these, these loans had the same thing. So as people were getting three, four, five, six houses, and they were not being honest about their income, they had these large, large debt-to-income ratios that today would not be allowed. Mm -hmm. And when the market crashed, these people couldn't afford, so they walked away from the properties, okay? So, um, so were, were um, let's just say, the Joneses, yeah. they were walking into a lending institute saying they earned 200,000, they were getting a loan for a $200,000 home. Were they then going down the street to another lending institute and saying, I'd like to apply for a mortgage? Sure, here's 200. Were they, in essence, bouncing between different people and buying multiple properties because yes. nobody was checking? Yes. So that you've got the Joneses on. now owning six, seven, 10 homes. Yes. Nobody's checking their background and then we're in a problem yeah. because they can't afford to pay for 10 homes. There were some people like that. I wouldn't say that was the majority, but okay. there were some people like Played that. Played the game. They played the game. What was happening also were these arms, adjustable rate mortgages, and they were doing 80-20s, where your first loan was 80% of the purchase price, your second loan was 20% of the purchase price. These people were buying properties with really no skin in the game. Wow. Okay. Well, if I don't have any skin in the game, I can just walk, walk away. Walk away from it. Yeah, have a nice day. Yeah. Walk what away. What am I going to lose? Nothing. Right. So there was a lot of that going on, okay? 
And then in addition to that, when these things adjusted, right, they adjusted from, let's say, 7% to 16%. Mm -hmm. And even if you didn't lose your job, you couldn't afford that type of increase, okay? The other aspect, and what was really driving a lot of this was the market was rising so fast, people were pulling equity out of their home and using it like an ATM machine, and they were buying cars or big screen televisions or going on vacations or possibly buying an investment property and tell your ride, okay? Mm -hmm. That was another important factor when people use their home equity like an ATM machine. And so, so many were leveraged, 80, 90, 95%. Some people at the time before the crash started were at 110% of the actual value of the house leveraged out against loans against the property. Okay? That's insane. Yeah. And when it all started to go, and it did start to go, people just walked away because they had nothing invested into it. And the banks were covered because they wrapped all the bad loans with pretty nice new shiny loans and sold it to Deutsche Bank and the Bank of China. And these these shiny loans were were genuine people looking to buy a house who had the credit checks, who had the money. So they were actually doing a legitimate loan application and they had all the funds and maybe even putting a down payment in. They were the nice shiny loan on paper and you know, paper clipped to that loan was the, the 10 other third loans that yeah. have been piggybacked onto it as well. Yeah, read the fine print. That's what I always say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So from that explanation, then we saw, in, or you saw in 2008, um, a lot of homes being built, a lot of homes being bought, prices escalating and going you know, rapidly out of control in, in, in price. We're seeing the same now. We're seeing a lot of homes trying to be purchased, but we don't have enough homes for sale. We're seeing prices increase greatly. We're also seeing, you know, the government giving us low interest rates, you know, threes and in the t even in the twos. How are we not in the same position as we were back then? Okay. So as Americans, we learn. When we've been burnt, we learn. One of the things that is preventing my belief that we are in a, going to experience a crash is that there is too much equity in the properties now for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Remember, I was trying to say to you before that most people had 90, 95, 100, sometimes 105% loan to value, meaning you owe more than Our the house is worth. Well, yeah. Nowadays, over 50% of America has over 50% equity in their home. Okay. So even if the market would drop a little, drop 10, 15, 20%, they would not be forced to sell. Okay. Okay. And most people in the nowadays are being qualified at a much greater scrutiny level and more data is being collected to make sure that the borrower can afford to pay these loans back. Okay. Now, there still are the government subsidies out there like pathway to purchase and down payment assistance to help people to become a homeowner, but also um, hold them accountable. So we'll help you with the down payment, but you better be staying in that house for five years. Let's so it's say. more of a step up than a yes. freebie. Yes. Yeah. They're teaching you how to fish versus just giving you a fish. Giving you the fish, yeah. One of the things that's real important to understand is the 
uh, builders are not uh, not now allowing you to go buy 10 homes and then sell them as flip them. They've really curtailed that. I give the builders a lot of credit. They're limiting their inventory. So you can't go and buy 20 homes as an investor. So what we had here, and it's kind of a joke uh, in the Tucson area, we had California people coming over in 2006, 2007 to be like 30 of them in a school bus. They'd come in, they stand in line to build or open up 80 lots. And, you know, people were buying two, three, four, five of the lots. They'd send, set $10,000 as earnest money down for five lots. So they got 50 grand in there before the house was done. They were selling each house for probably 50 to $80,000 profit. So do the math. It was very well worth it. Yeah. Okay. That did come to an abrupt end. The builders lost a lot. Uh, one of the untold stories is how the builders had to go bad on the loans, had to go bad on the land, gave the land back to the bank. Okay. There, I'm the, and we're talking big builders have deep pockets, and they're like, you know, we'll take the loss. We'll take the short term loss, mm -hmm. and we're not going to, you know, we're not going to build a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house and have to sell it for one hundred and seventy five, yeah. which is what was happening. Just stop right? production. Yeah. Yeah. They're not doing that now. Mm -hmm. I give them a lot of credit. Um, you know, we have a lot of things with builders that we have, uh, you know, our, our feathers get ruffled a little bit as real estate agents, but I wanna be here to say that I'm proud of the builders for slowing down the building so that we don't end up having this kind of goofy stuff going on, okay? But also, Matt, this is real important for people to know. The real estate bubble in 2006, seven and eight was artificially inflated. Right now, the reason we have high rising prices is nothing more than supply and demand. Mm -hmm. We just don't have enough supply. And we're starting to see the millennials come out to purchase. Now they're comfortable coming out to purchase. So, and they're the largest buying group right now in America. There is not enough homes for them to buy. So the builders are building homes at a slower pace we have more people coming into the market and less people putting their house on the market for sale right now. So this is a, a bubble, not a bubble, but a rise in prices due to supply and demand. Once it lets go and more and more people start putting their homes on the market and they're feeling more comfortable because of the COVID, we'll start to see this high rise in prices start to level off. So it's not a, it's not a bubble, it's a bottleneck. Yes. That's all it is. It, and that's a great way of saying it. It is a bottleneck for supply. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense. Hey, everyone, we want to interrupt this episode to let you know that we are a Keller Williams Southern Arizona franchise. Also, we are licensed realtors practicing equal housing. Now, let's get you back to the podcast. Well, the, you know, this, I think this has been really good to, under, you know, again, we get a lot of people asking, you know, I'm going to hold off buying until the market pops. I'm going to hold off selling to see, you know, when the market crashes. It's not the same. This, From what you're telling me, you know, today's position we're in has been driven by demand and supply and demand and the lack of supply and the greater demand we have for people to be a homeowner versus artificially raised back in 2000 greed. And, and greed yeah back in 2007 and 2008 this seems to be a, we are in more of a controlled era because it sounds like the banks and the lending institutes have you know they've had their wrists slapped and they've had you know procedures and, and systems put in place for them not to go down the you know get that mirror out of the bottom drawer and fog it again and here's yeah. a loan yeah it seems to be that we've a lot of people learn the lesson and and we're not in the same place 
Yeah, I agree with you. There, a lot of people have, um, and important people, like I said, like the builders, like the lenders, like the politicians, like the real estate agents. You know, we've seen it. We're not going to allow that to happen again. Yeah. Okay. Now, certain things will be out of our hands. We can't. You know, there may be a black swan event. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's just say there's an there's a breakup in the Middle East right now. You know, as we speak, we're having some tension in Israel and Palestine. Okay. Um, that breaks out into a big full war. We don't know what's going to happen. All right. We also know right now in today's market, lumber prices are incredibly high. Okay. Um, I'm not going to pass judgment on is it greed, is it supply and demand, what it is. All I can say is that there may be a black swan that may put a halt on our real estate climb. But as I see it now, unless something like that happens, I think we're going to keep climbing. As a seller, you may want to put your house on the market now to sell. As a buyer, you definitely don't want to wait because you're missing that equity elevator. So you buy your house today, tomorrow it's going to be worth more. Okay. And that spread's going to get bigger for buyers. Yes. You know, as, as, as the um, more and more properties come on the market, which gives them more, you know, inventory to buy, once we see more, you know, my perception is once we see more properties come on the market, the government are going to bring those rates back up again, you know, high threes, low fours, because they don't need the lower interest rate at the moment because, you know, things are going so well. So that spread for a buyer is actually going to get bigger. It could. Their 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 um their purchase amount, you know, the amount that their affordability is going to get less because rates have gone up, which costs you more a month. Home prices are rising as well. You know, you could, you know, you could be in a little bit of a tight spot, right? Yep. And here's something that people should keep in mind. We all know that sun rises and sets every day, right? East the only other, yeah, the only other thing I know that rises and sets is the stock market. Yeah. That is very it true. never goes up forever and never goes down forever. And when this bull market, which has been unprecedented, comes to a halt and it starts turning down, you're going to see the interest, like the bond rates and that. People are going to leave the stock market. Now, this is getting a little wonky, but I'll try and make it simple. People who are investing in the stock market are going to sell, take their money, and they're going to put it in the bond market. And bond rates, like the 10 years and the 30 years, are going to rise. And you're not going to be able to say, oh, the the um, Federal Reserve will slow that down. No, it won't, because more and more people will start coming into the bond market, meaning that the prices of the bonds will go up. Okay. okay? And that means interest rates will go up. Yeah. I don't want to get too wonky into it, but um, so equity elevator, get on it. If you're a if you're a buyer, if you're a seller, the equity elevator could be coming to the top. And when it starts to fall, gravity grabs it real quick, and now you're chasing the market down. Yeah. So if you're thinking about selling your house and maybe retiring, if you're thinking about buying a new house or building a new house, um, get in touch with a real estate agent. Let them show you what's happening in the marketplace, whether it's here in Tucson, Arizona, or it's across the United States. Um, and if you need some help with that, obviously connect with us. We'll be able to help you out that way anywhere in the United States, but we can give you enough information and data that you can make an informed, logical decision on whether to step into the market and buy, ride the elevator up of equity, or be a a seller and say, sell now, and then from taking the top dollar, I'm going to go buy something else, or I'm maybe retire and rent. Yeah, there we go. Um, Great, great amount of information. Uh, And I think... You know, we have a lot of um, 
you know, millennials who are looking to buy yep. and moving into the home marketplace, they probably wouldn't know they've heard of, but they didn't understand or know what happened back in 2007. Now, I didn't. Yep. You know, being from the UK, I was in the military at the time. Like, I wasn't even looking at the housing market. So I, you know, realistically, I was in Iraq and Afghanistan 2008 through 11. So this whole thing didn't affect me um, because it wasn't in my field of view. So, it, you know, it wasn't until I got into real estate four years ago that I took the time to look back at this and like, I, you know, the trends and the patterns. So uh, I think this has been a, a great load of information. If people want more information, uh, the name of the book? Reckless Endangerment. Reckless Endangerment. Um, you know, we'll put a link in the comments for that. I'm sure you can find it uh, online. Um, but if you want more information, if you want um just to dig a little deeper as to where things were then, where things are now, reach out to us. Doesn't matter whether you're here in Tucson, uh, if you're in Arizona or across the country, reach out to us. We're more than happy to chat and we can also connect you with a local um, a local realtor that we know, like, and trust who can provide you value as well. So great episode and uh, we look forward to the next one. Yeah, Matt. And listen, on our next episode, which is going to be episode 29, we are going to talk about the buyers that are in 2021 and how this is different than 2008. All right. Sounds good. We'll see you next time. Hey, thank you for listening and watching the Nitty Gritty podcast here with the Tom J. Krieger team. If you are thinking about buying a home, selling a home, or even investing in real estate, please reach out to us. We are local here in Tucson, Arizona, but we are also connected to over 4,000 agents across the US. So again, looking to buy, sell, or invest in your hometown, reach out to us and let us connect you.